And so I want to talk, I want to, as we lead into our, our theme for this week, as we go through Radvent, is um, waiting for home. And you can think about n- nostalgia, uh, the power of nostalgia to think back on days when you felt safe and when you felt loved and cared for and secure and everybody you love was all together and you were being known and loved and delighted in. And really, that's maybe the route that we have to go through, but we go back not to stay back because that's not enough. Because when those thoughts and, and dreams and daydreams kind of wash over me, you know, you stop and think like, yeah, that's wonderful, but what I, I don't want to leave what I have now. What I have now is, is better. But, but the reason I'm so drawn to go back is because I have to go back and that's pointing me forward to a place that I've never been, that I was made for. And it's this quote from C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory. Uh, some of y'all have probably heard this before. He says, in speaking of this desire for our own far off country, which we find in ourselves even now, I feel a certain shyness. I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia or romanticism or adolescence. And he says, people identify it with certain moments in their own past, but this is all a cheat. Because if they had gone back to those moments in the past, they would not have found the thing itself, but only the reminder of it. What they remembered would turn out to be itself a remembering. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if, if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower that we have not found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. It's these things that, that go, we want to go back to these places that feel safe, that feel warm, that feel happy. And, and it's really, if we were to be able to go back there, C.S. Lewis is saying, it would not be enough. We, it, would, it would be dead. Because the thing is like, is like sand slipping through our fingers. It's, that's not the thing. But that, the feeling of that, is like a memory of a place that we've never been. It's a memory of something that we've never experienced. It's looking back to go forward. And so, um, as we talked about, the book of Revelation, um, all these visions that Jesus is giving John, his apostle, his beloved apostle, who is stranded on this prison island, uh, for the, he's going to live out the rest of his days, a prisoner of the Roman Empire, on this, the island of Patmos. And what he needs and what Christians around the Roman Empire needed at that time, who were being killed and being sent to prison because their refusal to worship the emperor as God, was a picture of what is happening now, a revealing of what's happening now that they cannot see with the naked eye, and a revealing of what is to come. And it's the power of these visions, of these very visceral, vivid visions, that's three V's, that they would see what is happening now that they can't see and what is coming. And that is going to change the way that they live and experience the present. 
that the power of how you think about the future, the power of how I think about the future, changes the way that I'm able to live in the present. And we're tempted to do that by going back and to think about the past. And that just makes us sad. And even if we were able to go back, that wouldn't be the thing. But Jesus is calling us through these visions that he's giving John to say, no, no, don't look back. John, don't look back to the time. Think about what John could look back to. Don't look back to the time that you and I were doing life together. For three years, we were eating and living and sleeping, and I was teaching, and you were listening, and we were doing ministry together. John, don't look back on those times. That's not what's the best. What's the best is what's coming. And I'm, I'm calling you to look forward. I'm giving you this gift of being able to look forward. And that's the same thing that's happening with us, even when we're trying to find a city to live in. We're trying to find a house to move into. Um, We're trying to find a career that that feels like it fits us. And there's plenty of valid reasons, like the Lord calling us, to move cities or to move houses or to move, change careers. But the restlessness that we feel underneath all of those moves and all of those decisions is that what we're looking for, we're not going to find in a new neighborhood. We're not going to find it in a new house. We're not going to find it in a new city. We're not going to find it in a new job. I mean, there's reasons to move into those new places. But we are not going to find what we are ultimately looking for. And so there is going to be this disappointment in us because the thing that we're looking for is the thing that John is calling our attention to in this passage. We're looking for home. Hebrews 11.10 says this about the, uh, Abraham as God's friend. It says that, He and everyone like him, all the people of God were looking forward to a city that has foundations, a city that actually has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In Ezekiel chapter 44, God is speaking about the priests, that there was this one tribe, the Levites, that were the priests. And when he talks about the inheritance that they would get in the land, you know, the land was going to get portioned off, and this tribe would have this, and this tribe would have this. When he gets to the priests, which now we are all a kingdom of priests, this is true of them, this is true of us. God says, this shall be their inheritance in the land. They're like, great, I hope we get some good real estate. He says, I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession in the land because I am their possession. The thing that we are looking for, the place we are looking for is not a thing. It's not a place. It is this God who is calling us into relationship with him. And so he's leading us on this journey. So um, whoever's reading our passage, if you'll come on up. But the way that we think about the future shapes our present and we have to go back to go forward. As I've said before, it's maturity. Maturity is innocence on the other side of experience. That's what's happening as we live out this life now, is the people of God are not naive children who refuse to live in reality. Um, We live in a world of abuse and tornadoes and all kinds of suffering. So if, if we stick our heads in the sand and say, well, everything's great because God loves us and we're, we're little children, um, that's not how he's called us to live. That's, that's being a child without wisdom. But he also doesn't call us to live the way that most people turn out without God's intervention is jaded and their hearts are dead. Like, no, 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 I've seen the world. I've seen how bad this is and I'm, I'm not going to fall for that anymore. 
And that's also not how he's called us to live. But how he's called us to live is to deal with reality and gain the wisdom of experience to lead us back to, for the first time, the innocence of maturity as children of God. Okay, this is Revelation 21, 1 through 22, verse 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, plagues and spoke to me saying come I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with the twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels and on the gates the names of twelve tribes of the sons of Israel's were inscribed on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. Um, on the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also, he also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it in 
they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will, no, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Thanks, Hayes. It's a long passage, um, but yeah, as you've heard us say before here, as we're going through Revelation, we just really felt like it's important to read all of it and, and go through all of it because it's a, a deep gift to us, and I'm just praying that through this series, through my feeble attempts and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this will be a book that becomes a devotional for us um, because this, this is so powerful. Um, it teaches us how to live, um, how to live in the present because of what's coming in the future and what's happening around us that we can't always see. Um, and I want to say one thing because I'm not going to preach about it um, directly here, but this uh, verse 7 and 8 um, in chapter 21, this is kind of like a woo, just kind of jumps out, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, on and on, their place will not be here in the new heavens and new earth. It'll be in the, the lake that burns with fire. Um, if you haven't been with us, you need to listen to some other things too. But I'll just say, um, this is not saying that those of us who are weak, this is not saying those of us who have moments of fear and moments of doubt and times that we sin, this is not talking about that. Remember the day that this was written. This is talking to the people who have decided, no, 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 I'm choosing to worship the emperor or any other false gods because Jesus is not worth it. So I am setting myself in opposition to him. That's, that's who that's talking about. Okay, now let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Uh, Father, just have mercy on us. Uh, by giving us what we need from you. Um, don't, don't let this be limited by my limitations, but let this be your Holy Spirit working through your word, uh, through your messenger to speak to every one of us in a very personal way and give us exactly what we need, Lord. Convict us where we need to be convicted of sin. Encourage us where we need to be strengthened, Lord. And, and um, maybe more than anything else today, um, put deep, deep into our hearts and our minds the reality of what is coming, and let that change the way that we live now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where we're going, uh, the way I'm trying to break this down is we're going to look at our home, we're going to look at our God who builds the home, and then we're going to look at what is now and what is coming. And the thing about this is, I'm trying to break it down to make it more <laughs> digestible, but all of this is, is the same thing. You can't separate it. The, the home is the builder, and what is now is what's coming, and it's all kind of tangled up together. But this is how we're going to approach it. So first, looking at the home, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I want to just stop, and there's, <laughs> we're, we're limited here, but just, just sit with me in this. John is saying, I am seeing a brand new everything that you could see. 
Like all of my reality, everything that surrounds me, all that encompasses my reality and my knowledge of what is true in the world is passing away. Like there are, there are elements that the Lord is, is carrying through, but he is saying, I, I am seeing an entirely new cosmos. I'm seeing an entirely new creation. I'm seeing things that like, I don't even have a category for because the things that I'm used to, the world that I've been living in is getting old and it's getting sad and it's wearing out and it's running down. And it is going to be renewed. The Lord is going to make all things new. And when he says, I, there's no sea, um, it's the imagery. He's referencing that the sea was the place where the beast came out. And what he's saying is there's now going to be no more, no more closets through which monsters can come and terrify us anymore. Like the place, the beasts and the, and the dragon have all been thrown into the lake of fire and the place where those things come from is no more. Like we're coming off the heels of, of the last battle in the last chapter. And so he's saying now that all of sin and perpetrators of sin and the wicked and those who are opposed to Jesus and the world that's been stained by sin, since all of that is gone, now I'm seeing a new heaven and a new earth. It's paving the way for what's coming. And he says, and then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And going back to uh, the sermon that Evan preached a couple weeks ago, as we talked about waiting for the wedding, um, this passage from John 14, where Jesus tells his disciples that it's like he's like a groom going and preparing a place for his bride. Like uh, in John 14, 2, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is saying, I am your bride, or I am your groom. You are my bride, and I am going away to my father's house to prepare a place to build on a room for every single one of my people so that you can be with me forever, and then I'm going to come back and bring you home with me. And then he's, he's saying now that uh, not only is he building on rooms and preparing a place, but he's preparing us for that place. Because he's saying that this new Jerusalem, which is the place that held the temple, which is the place where God and man met and had communion on earth, he's saying that this is not just a place, it is people. It is the persons of God and his people meeting together. And so that's why he's saying that this is a place and a people, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So he is making us ready for him. He is making us ready for our wedding, for our life together with him. Ezekiel 43.10, God tells Ezekiel this, and so much, that, like the last several chapters of Ezekiel, John is getting so much that is, is from that. Remember, nothing is new in Revelation. It's just repackaged in a very vivid way to remind us what's true and what's coming and that God's word is coming true. He is making all things new. But in Ezekiel, he gets this vision of the temple. And one of the things that God says is, is kind of strange. He says to Ezekiel, describe the temple to my people so that what? So that they'll be ashamed of their sin. And what he's saying there is, you tell them what's coming. You tell them that I'm remaining faithful to them, even when they are faithless. You tell them that I am like a husband going to prepare a place for his bride 
So while you were saying, yeah, God doesn't love me, he's never coming back, so I'm just going to go find life on my own. I'm going to go commit all this adultery and have all these spiritual affairs with everyone and everything that I can get my hands on. You go back and you tell my bride that the reason I'm not here right now is I'm preparing a place for you. And tell her that so that she'll be ashamed. Not so that she'll stay ashamed, but so that she will see how much I love her. That I am always faithful, I'm always here, I am your beloved husband who is caring for you in all ways. And so look at this city, look at the city that John describes as coming down. This is like uh, verses 9 through 27 in chapter 21. It has the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel. It has a great high wall, it describes the wall and it describes the gates. And remember, uh, if you were with us when we went through the book of Nehemiah, we talked about the wall and the gates of keeping things out and letting things in. And so he's saying that um, he talks about the foundations of the wall and he talks about the gates and on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and on the foundations of the wall are the names of his apostles. And what he's saying is that this city is made strong by the teaching of the apostles. This city is made strong by the Lord working through his people. And the gates are made out of pearls. You know, we, we get this picture from Jesus in the Gospels of the pearl of great price. Um, and he says, you know, essentially, these are my people. These are precious. Like, and, and the foundations of the wall are not just this powerful stone. They have jewels all over them, expensive, precious jewels all over the foundations. And he's saying, these, like, this city is my people, and it is precious to me. And it's, it's, it is a safe place that you will never have to worry about being attacked or anything bad happening because there's a strong wall that is keeping everything out. And again, this is, this is all imagery, but the gates are letting his people in from every nation. I love what it says here. Um, all the kings of the earth will bring their glory into this city. What that's saying is all of the representatives, the heads of every different culture that's ever existed in the history of mankind are going to be bringing the beautiful and true and good things from their culture into this city. This is truly going to be a home where everyone feels at home. It's not going to be a city that is monoculture and everyone else is going to feel like a guest forever in the city. This is a city where all of the things that are good and beautiful and true is people are finding God in the world, no matter what tribe, tongue, or nation you're from, are bringing all of those things, the stuff of life, the stuff of earth, into the city to make it great. That's a beautiful picture of what's coming. And maybe the most beautiful part of this whole description is something that's easy to miss. It says that the city was measured and its length and width and height were all equal and it was made of gold. Listen to this from 1 Kings 6.20. Talking about the first temple. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high, and it was overlaid with pure gold. What John is saying here, what Jesus is showing John is that this, this thing in the, in the original temple, the Holy of Holies, this is the place where God, God's presence dwelt most fully on earth in the very center of his people that only the high priest could go once a year. But this was the place where more than anywhere else God dwelt with his people. He's saying that the new Jerusalem, the whole city is the Holy of Holies. 
like the most intimate relationship that you could possibly have with God is going to be had by everyone in the whole city all the time. So that's a little bit of this city. We're so limited here in what we can do in a sermon. But just let this wash over you and go back and meditate on this passage and spend time with Jesus in this passage. That's a little snippet of the home that we're going to. Here's a little snippet of the builder. John says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. You know, if you go back through scripture and you see all the ways that God talks about his people, it's a little embarrassing because you have this holy, high, perfect God of the universe, and you have this people who are so little, but also so awful. (laughs) Like God's people throughout history, we have been so awful. We have been committing spiritual adultery against him in every generation from the very first people that have ever existed, and yet these things are true. Exodus 33, 11, talking about God's relationship with Moses, it says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Jesus, talking about his disciples in John 15, says, I call you friends. I mean, the humility of the God of the universe wanting to be friends with his people who are so faithless to him. Behold, the dwelling place of God, the place you will find God, is with his people. And the refrain that is repeated through all of scripture is repeated here again at the end of all things. Behold, I will be their God and they will be my people. If you think about it, in in one way, that is the theme of all of scripture. That is a theme of all of human history. I will be the God of my people and they will be my people. And it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and we shall see his face. It's like this moment, the the picture of God wiping away every tear from our eyes. Think about that. That is the last tear that you will ever cry, is the one that he wipes away. And it's like a, a father to a child who's been lost in the wilderness and has finally found their way home, is like embracing the child and saying, it's all okay now because you are safe. You are home. You're here with me. And can you imagine, you get, you get this perfect, just this reality that God is wiping away tears. He is not making light of our suffering. He's not like, ah, stop crying and come on in here. He's coming to every person with such deep tenderness and wiping away their tears, wiping away your tears and my tears, saying, I know. I know that was so hard. I know what you've been through is so hard, and I've been through it too. And now it's okay. And it will be no more. And even the deepest pain that we have ever experienced or will ever experience will be as like this fleeting thought that just disappears. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the thing that is just, the suffering that is just hammering you? Can you imagine the day that you can't even remember it? Like that's not even a thing, that's not even in the back of my mind, much less the forefront. 
Like because of what is coming, because the end of all things where we are finally at this place and with this God in all perfection, the very things that we were created for, all of that will literally just disappear. It will fade away in the light of his glory. That is who is building this home for us. The one who is our father, the one who is our husband, the one who is our friend, the one who delights at the idea of being with us forever and ever and ever. So what is happening now? It says, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. This world, this place where we find ourselves is not a bus stop. We are not sitting waiting for heaven. God is through us and around us and in us making all things new right now. The suffering that we experience, the work that we do, it is not pointless. It is not wasted. It is not just biding our time and twiddling our thumbs until he returns and does everything. He is working in us and through us and Everywhere he is in the process right now of making all things new. He is using your listening and my speaking of his word to make all things new. He is using what you are leaving to go do tomorrow morning in the jobs that you get paid for and the jobs you don't get paid for to make all things new. He is, he is using all of it. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are not the ones who are creating the new Jerusalem. We are not the ones who are creating the new heavens, the new earth. God is doing that. But he is using us, and he is, he is working through us in this world to prepare his people for himself, to prepare us for this home that we are coming to. And it says, and they will reign with him forever and ever. That means that we will have work to do. We will reign with him. We will be in the world and imagine all of the imagination of childhood along with all of the know-how and skill of adulthood put, put to use, put to work in this new heavens and new earth. So that is what's happening. And now we end with what is coming. And he said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. He says, it is finished. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Okay, what is finished? Well, it's the same thing that Jesus said as he was breathing his last breath on the cross. And what is finished is God is accomplishing his purposes in his son. God the Father who loves us so much, working out this plan of salvation, sent his son into the world to live a perfect righteous life so that he could die a sinner's death, taking all of our sin onto himself so that he could be a substitution for us so that we would never have to die and so that we would, we would not die in the second death and that we would be with God forever. We are clean. He has made us new, that his Holy Spirit working in us, 
by Jesus taking our sins and giving us his righteousness, now there's new life living in us. The Holy Spirit is not just near us or around us or will be with us one day. He lives inside of us. That union is already happening. It's already happened. For everyone who is in Christ, the Holy Spirit is living in you, making you new. The very power of God is in you, making you new. And that is the love of the triune God for his people. Is God the Father set all of this into motion to bring his people back to himself, gave his son, God the Son willingly gave himself up so that we could have life, and God the Holy Spirit delights to dwell within us and make us new. And so that is what's finished. Because once Jesus died and was resurrected, like it's all over for the dragon, it's all over for the beast, it's all over for the enemies of God. No one can touch the people of God. And no one can stop his plan of salvation that's, that's set forth from the Garden of Eden to the very end of human history. It's finished. It's over. If you remember back to Revelation 12, the vision of the dragon getting the boot out of the heavenly realm, like he, there's nothing left for him to do. All he can do is try to intimidate us. But it is finished. The work is finished. So he is working. He is making all things new. And it's already done. And listen to this. He talks about the spring of water of life that he's going to give without payment. In John 19, 34, when it talks about the, the crucifixion of Jesus, it says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out of him blood and water. Now I want us to go back to Ezekiel 47, a place that many of you have probably never been before, and I don't think I've ever been until this last couple weeks. And it's, again, this vision of the temple. And think about this theme of water with the soldier's spear piercing Jesus' side on the cross, blood and water pouring out. And we go back to this vision that Ezekiel had. It says, then God brought me back to the door of the temple. This is when the people were in exile and, and looking ahead to this temple that was coming. And behold, water was coming from below the threshold of the temple and it started to trickle out and it started to spill out of the temple. And as I moved further and further, first it was ankle deep and then knee deep and then waist deep. And then this water that was coming from the temple of God became a river. It became a river that I could not pass through because it was too deep. And there were trees on either side. Think about chapter 22 here. And this river will flow into the sea and it will turn the sea into fresh water because everything it touches, it will make to live. Everything will live where the river flows. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor will they fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because... The water for them flows from the sanctuary. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John 4. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what is God saying here? God is saying that through his son, the finished work of Jesus Christ, this water begins to issue from the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus, the place where God and his people meet. And this water that issues out is becoming a river of life that everything touches, it makes live. And even now, 
before it is all finished and all realized, we have in us rivers of living water and the rivers of living water in us are like this diviner's wand that is leading us to the rivers of home. It is this thing in us that has to disappoint us with, with the reality of this world because this is not our home, but it is the disappointment and the joy and all the things that we experience that is leading us to our true and forever home, the only city with foundations whose architect and builder is God, the one who is building our new home and bringing us to himself and bringing all of this into completion through Jesus Christ. And it is in dwelling on our home that we find life and we learn how to live here, not as jaded adults, not as naive kids, but as mature children of God who are waiting, actively waiting on our home for the one who will bring all of this to completion in our, in our precious Jesus. Father, thank you that this is true. Thank you that our home is not even primarily a place, but it is you. And I pray, Lord, it is, it is hard. It is difficult to live here waiting for this day. And so first I'd ask, come Lord Jesus, would you come and make all things new and lead us to this place where we can fully experience it now? And in between the now and the then, Lord, would you strengthen us with this vivid picture of what is true and what's coming so that we can be your people out in the world, your vessels for healing and flourishing in life that in, in a small way, in an imperfect way, but also in, in powerful ways, that, that those rivers of living water in us would flow through us and that the things that we quote unquote touch would live because it's, it's your life through us that is bringing life to a, a dying and old and worn out world and lost and dying people who are desperate to know life and that life that is in you. And ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.